The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. We are live in Westminster and Brussels. Let's get into the headlines this hour. UK lawmakers vote to proceed with Boris Johnson's Brexit deal but refuse to be rushed. That means EU leaders must decide whether to postpone next week's October 31st deadline. The EU must now make up their minds over how to answer Parliament's request for a delay. And the first consequence, Mr Speaker, is that the government must take the only responsible course and accelerate our preparations for a no-deal outcome. Uh, EU Council President Donald Tusk says he'll back a three-month extension in order to avoid a no-deal Brexit, while Downing Street suggests it's time for a general election. China is reportedly making plans to replace Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam after months of anti-government protests against her administration. Meanwhile, SoftBank set to take 80% control of WeWork, confirming plans for a nearly $10 billion rescue package and paying co-founder Adam Newman to cede voting rights. Last we look back at ECB President Mario Draghi's legacy as he prepares to reside over his final policy decision at the central bank. So very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the programme. British lawmakers have approved Boris Johnson's new deal with the EU, but moments later, MPs rejected the government's timetable for approving the agreement. It's now up to the EU to decide whether to grant the UK an extension to next week's October 31st deadline. EU Council President Donald Tusk says he will recommend another delay. Willem is live from Westminster. Sylvia is in Brussels. Willem, let's get out to you and just walk us through then exactly what happened with this legislation. Well, the government had pushed to get everything through the lower chamber here in the UK, the House of Commons, in just three days, Jeff. And throughout yesterday afternoon's debate, lawmakers made it very clear they were not happy with that timetable. And that was important because after the initial vote on the underlying legislation for this Brexit deal, there was a second vote called a programme motion, which essentially tends to be a formality, but on this occasion was used as a moment for lawmakers to defy the government on the proposed timetable for all of the legislating over the next few days. And there was a majority against the government's proposed timetable, and that's what has stopped Boris Johnson in his tracks and has meant that October 31st deadline may now be in jeopardy. Here was the reaction from the Labour opposition leader, Jeremy Corbyn, to that second vote. Tonight, the House has refused to be bounced into debating a hugely significant piece of legislation in just two days, with barely any notice and an analysis of the economic impact of this bill. The Prime Minister is the author of his own misfortune. So I make this offer to him tonight. Work with us, work with us, all of us, to agree a reasonable timetable 
and I suspect this House will vote to debate, scrutinise and I hope amend the detail of this bill. That would be the sensible way forward and that's the offer I make on behalf of the opposition tonight. It will probably not surprise you to know that Boris Johnson did not immediately accept that offer from the opposition leader and instead expressed how upset he was about the fact that Parliament had not essentially bent to his will. I must express my disappointment that the House has again uh, voted for delay, rather than a timetable that would have guaranteed that the UK would be in a position to leave the EU on October the 31st with a deal. And we now face further uncertainty and the EU must now make up their minds over how to answer Parliament's request for a delay. And the first consequence, Mr Speaker, is that the government must take the only responsible course and accelerate our preparations for a no-deal outcome. But secondly, I will, speak, I will speak to EU member states about their intentions until they have reached a decision. Until uh, they've reached a decision, I must say, we will pause this legislation. And after Saturday, when Parliament forced Boris Johnson to request an extension from the EU, it will now be up to the 27 European leaders to decide over the next few days how they wish to respond to these events here in Westminster. And Sylvia, you in Brussels are the best place to explain what they're saying at the moment. Well, Liza, indeed, on the EU at this stage, will it say yes to the request for an extension? When will it take that decision and how that decision will be made? So those are the three open questions at this stage on the European side. In the meantime, though, we heard from Donald Tusk, the president of the European Council, who chairs the discussions among the 27 capitals, and he said the following uh, the Prime Minister's decision to pause the process of ratification of the withdrawal agreement and in order to avoid a no-deal Brexit, I will recommend, and I'm quoting, the U27 accept the UK request for an extension. For this, I will propose a written procedure. So two very important points out of this statement from Donald Tusk. First, he mentions the request for an extension. He does not mention the deadline. He does not mention the timeline, whether this should be until January 2020 or not. So that is still open for debate among the 27 capitals. And the second important thing is that he mentions that the decision should be taken by written procedure. So meaning that the EU27 do not need to come to Brussels for an emergency summit. Having said that, though, when we were back in April, when the UK government asked for an extension as well, back then Donald Tusk had suggested that the extension should be of one year, but there was some criticism from certain countries and that extension only lasted, was only granted for six months. So we cannot take the Donald Tusk's position for a written procedure uh, as a given at this stage. That will very much depend on what he hears from the 27 capitals in the coming hours. Having said that, though, the European Union still thinks that in the way the Brexit should move on is by approving the exit agreement. Let's take a listen to Michel Barnier, the EU's Brexit negotiator, speaking yesterday in Strasbourg. The United Kingdom wants an orderly withdrawal, which is much better than a disorderly withdrawal. Then this agreement is the only one possible. 
Negotiations will go beyond Brexit and the split, the divorce. We'll have to negotiate it for one, two, three years, maybe more in some areas, in order to build all over again everything that's been unpicked by those who supported Brexit. So Michel Barnier there, the EU's Brexit negotiator, making it clear that Brexit uncertainty will drag for two, three or more years because they still have to figure out their future relationship. But of course, in order for that to happen, now we need to understand if the EU will grant an extension. Now, having said that, when you look at what's on the table, did the European Union want to be in this position of having to discuss a third Brexit delay? Well, the answer is no. We've heard from different European leaders, including Macron last week, saying that the Brexit process should move on to phase two to discuss those trade negotiations. Nonetheless, though, having said that, the European Union does not want to be blamed for a no-deal Brexit as well. So the overall expectation, but of course I stress the word expectation, is that the EU will grant some sort of delay. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the impression we get. And why would they want a no-deal, actually, after all this? And of course, uh, Barnier's got a new job. Do you see Barnier's got a new job? He's going to be in charge, and we have to get this right, because the acronym was a bit unfortunate if they get it the wrong way around. And I, and I t take my hat off to Adam Fleming from the BBC for pointing this out about the acronym. This is not my information, this is someone else. UK Task Force. That's the new role that Barnier is going to be taking up to guide uh, Britain and the EU through uh, the, the rest of the divorce. That UKTF, and they were thinking about calling it, apparently calling it, again, this is the BBC, not me on their Brexit cast, which I was listening to on the way in this morning. Because, of course, if it was Task Force UK, the acronym could have been slightly unfortunate. I'll leave that to our viewers to work out. Peter Westerway is Chief Economist and Head of Investment Strategy at Vanguard Asset Management. Good morning to morning. you. For the love of God, Peter, let's get this general election out of the way and then maybe Boris Johnson will have the mandate he wants to get this done. I can't see how we don't remain bogged down. And that's the thinking, of course, of the UK government pausing the legislation unless we get a general election. The dates being penciled in, I hear, are the 5th or the 12th of December. Yeah, I'm not sure we are going to get that general election because I don't... I'm for charity. Okay, okay. <laughs> done. Okay. I don't think there's going to be any appetite for that from the opposition parties at the moment. Uh, so I think the would. more likely... They would. They I said, think... get, the, get the extension and we'll have it. Yeah, but I think more likely is it's going to grind through Parliament and this deal is going to get signed off by November, December. And I think once that's done, that's when we have the election, which I think will play very well for for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives. But then we can't have the election till the new year. And of course, um, the, if the SNP said they'll have it, Liberal Democrats have said they have it, Keir Starmer got shouted down, I'm told, at a cabinet, shadow cabinet meeting by Corbyn saying no, because Keir Starmer wants referendum and then general election, whereas Jeremy Corbyn wants general election after extension. So. I kind of, I'm, because I'm, of course we have to explain to our viewers who are not aware of this, but under the Fixed Term Parliament Act, the five year stint is written in stone unless you can get a two thirds majority saying uh, we want to have this election early, of course. So that's, that's the, the legal bit behind it. I don't think the general election plays particularly well for, for Labour in either, in either case. I think going to the electorate before Brexit's been done and dusted, or at least got to, the, to this next stage, let's not call it done and dusted, that's, that's a complete myth getting through the through this phase of parliament i think that will play very badly because it'll be very easy for the government to say we've been held up we've been frustrated 
But I think once it has been done, uh, then I think we're, we're going to be faced by a government that can stand on the rooftops and say, look, we've done it. So, so I think the cards have fallen very nicely for Boris Johnson, despite all of the, the criticism that he's been facing. There's a big assumption here that if there is an election before any Brexit deal, or at least the first phase is achieved, that there would be a strong showing for Boris Johnson. I mean, the polls effectively uh, indicating that, but hey, we've seen a mismatch in what the polls have thought in the past and, and what voters have actually done. There is a feeling out there that many are frustrated by the lack of progress on Brexit and they're blaming just about every politician out there. It's not really one or the other. So there is a chance that you may see a protest vote yet again. I mean, I was at a lunch yesterday where a lot of very sophisticated people didn't understand the ramifications of delivering a minority government. Exactly. That, that is actually one of the reasons why there is stasis when you have a big issue or legislation that needs to be passed, which means you could very well see another protest vote, right? Yeah, and um, even if you look at the poll of polls now, and, and God only knows how unreliable polls have been in recent years, I think the median estimate is around uh, a sort of small to moderate majority for the Conservatives, but the range of estimates go from a huge majority the, to the Conservatives through to, to a hung parliament again. So. Um, like last time in the election, a lot can change on the, on the hustings. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think we can say yet. Uh, where do we go on the markets then, Peter? Because the uh, markets had rallied on optimism that we might get a deal. The DAX had a very strong session. Here we are with all these negative calls on the market open for Europe. Is this about Brexit or is this about something else? I mean, I think from a UK perspective, uh, I think... A, a tectonic plate has shifted yesterday. Let's not forget, it's the first time we've got a vote through Parliament. And so stepping back from all the fuss about the, the short delay, I think it is significant. I think, you know, we're now dialing up our probability that, that some sort of deal is, is definitely going to get through. I don't think it's a done deal. But I think that's, that's sort of a short-term positive. But longer term, I think we are facing a pretty hard Brexit. So I think longer term based on the uh, work that we've done and others. I think it's not great for the UK economy. But yeah, looking more globally, there's still a lot of problems around the world, around, around trade wars, around the downturn in growth in Europe. And European policymakers want to get on with those challenges and they're getting very frustrated by the Brexit issue. But they'll, they'll put the extension through, but there are, there are other fish to fry at the moment. It was extraordinary in the trading session in the States yesterday. Brexit very much cited for the trading pattern that you saw in the S&P 500. At the same time, we're in the thick of it on earnings season. So you had investors very much responding mm -hmm. to event much further away from their shores. It tells us something about where risk sentiment is at as we come up to year end, right? I think risk sentiment for investors and, and actually, funnily enough, risk sentiment amongst people out in the real economy is, is to an extent to sit on sit on hands, while there's uncertainty that, that potentially is going to get resolved at some point in the future, rather than kind of basing your, your bets on a, on a weighted average of outcomes, the best thing to do is just do nothing until you get some sort of resolution. And I think that's what's happening to an extent in the market. People don't want to take big positions on sterling, even though personally I think there's probably upside in, in the short term, um, and they don't want to take make big investment projects in the real economy. So it's a, it's a very difficult time, this stasis that we're living through. Um, I, like you, saw some of the commentary and I thought it was totally spurious, to be honest. Mm. I mean, hopefully we'll have a moment here to talk about that. But the fact that McDonald's and travellers were weak 
to me, was more important because the one thing that everybody in America believes will hold the American markets up is the strength of the consumer. And when you start getting some data points that suggest actually maybe the consumer isn't that robust, people start to lose a bit of confidence. But, you know, let's blame it on Brexit, shall we, which is a long way away and has nothing to do with our markets. Don't get me wrong. I love a McDonald's. I eat a lot of junk food when when I'm allowed by my family. But I wouldn't say McDonald's is a barometer of how much Americans feel like spending. Let's face it. It's kind of like, it's not, dare I say it, and again, I'm not trying to, it's not where you go for a family treat, kind of apart from on a kind of pretty basic level. Right. Well, I think it represents a broad base. I'm trying to say that in a diplomatic way. I don't think I succeeded well, at all. I mean, I, I think because it's where you go for a cheap meal, yeah. I think it reflects a pain point at a certain quartile of the American consumer. Right. And that, that level of consumer supposedly is relatively robust at the moment, if you believe the analysis. But hey, we'll come back to this because uh, we've got to push on very quickly. Uh, Let me just tell you, ABB, uh, ABB, of course, this business that's trying to shift into robotics. That was the message that Ulrich Spiesoffer used to repeat over and over again when we sat down for interviews with him before he left the business. And now it's being run by Peter Vosa. But the, uh, the message is coming out of ABB. I mean, they're trying to, I think, um, paint this as a uh, stability moving forward. But these numbers, t- to be honest, don't look great. Um, third quarter 2019 orders down 3% to $6.89 billion. Uh, third quarter revenue uh, down 3% um, to $6.9 billion. So orders down and revenue down, net income down 15% at $515 million as against the $363 million um, expected by analysts. Well, on that reading, you'd expect these numbers to actually be positive uh, for the open of the stock. But the group saying weaker macroeconomic conditions affecting some customer markets. Uh, The company is focused on managing costs due to softer demand, mixed macroeconomic picture in Europe and China, weaker conditions in the United States. ABB says they expect slight revenue growth for 2019 and improved operating margins. It's not one of these companies that's told us if we transform ourselves by enormous corporate actions and building up certain divisions and getting rid of other divisions, we are going to be um, cycle proof. We are going to be talking about new digitalized world, yeah? Well, the stock was 28 euro, 28 Swissy at its highest. It's now significantly less, lost about a third of its value. It's seeing negative growth figures. Where, where was the, um, you know, we are Teflon to the execution. vagaries of the world economy? I mean, execution. This was a company that had a CEO it, or in or place. Or is it just not profit? Well, is it? I think you're wrong. But let me finish, let me finish the point. So execution being the issue, you had Spitzhofer there. He suddenly departs out of nowhere. We get this announcement. Then where is the next CEO? He doesn't actually come into the business until March next year. They've, they've named Bjorn uh, Rosengren as the next CEO, but he's got to finish his other commitments. So you've got a man in charge, Peter Vosa, doing two roles. So I dare say that there's a lack of leadership in this transition phase at this point. You're right, of course, on one level. 618, I got it, you're right. But, but if I may say on another level, 
these these ladies and gentlemen who do all this look at this brave new world look at this brave new world and there are two types of people who tell us a brave new world the one who can make money out of it and the ones who can't and let's face it if you're seeing orders for 2019 down three percent given that they've had all these years of transformation where's the brave new world where's the profitability they forget that technology always becomes commoditized it always becomes commoditized so if you don't make your profit early on where's your profit look at that the uh, director giving us a prompt to move on bringing in the music nice and loud I'm tone deaf after 800 days down Setting aside Aldous Huxley and the brave new world for a moment, changes elsewhere at the top potentially. China is reportedly drawing up plans to replace Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam. We'll be live from Beijing in just a few moments. Just a reminder, we're podcasting. If you can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, to have a listen and download today's episode. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. The Chinese government is reportedly drawing up a plan to get rid of the embattled Hong Kong chief executive Carrie Lam. That report in the Financial Times, the proposal, which is said to require approval from President Xi Jinping, would see Lam resign in March and an interim leader installed. Uh, let's get out to Eunice for more on this story. And um, Eunice, I don't know what you're hearing in Beijing on this, um, but... Would the removal of Carrie Lam at this stage really lead to a reduction in the protest activity in Hong Kong? That is a great question, Jeff. And I think it's very unclear as to whether or not that's going to be enough to placate the protesters who've ma been making several other demands that aren't really, that aren't related to Carrie Lam at all. But, um, but even so, the Financial Times is quoting sources as saying, as uh, what you had said, which is, uh, that an interim chief executive could be installed um, by March and that this person would then serve out Carrie Lam's term, which lasts until 2022. So uh, Carrie Lam, as you know, has been widely criticized and blamed for a series of mishaps, or at least what is perceived as uh, a complete mishandling of several different decisions, which eventually sparked the uh, protests that have been gone going on for months and also which have fueled um, this anti-Beijing sentiment in, in Hong Kong. So authorities will likely be very, very careful in the way they handle this decision, if it is indeed true. Uh, they do not want to, most likely, uh, want to be perceived as caving in any way to a uh, pressure from the protesters. Um, in fact, the FT was quoting some sources as saying that Beijing would like to see the for making switch public uh, in terms of the official response. Oh, easy, guys. 
Well, I think we're having a few problems there with our connection to Beijing. So we will let Eunice go at this point. Let me just also point out that the Legislative Council is set to formally withdraw that piece of legislation that initially caused such problems uh, for Carrie Lam and, of course, have led to four months of protests involving the uh, uh, protesters and their five demands. And the, with the formal withdrawal actually only removes one of the five demands at this point. Peter, the Hong Kong market has been quite resilient, I would say, both in terms of the stock market and the property market in the face of these protests. Um, will Carrie Lam's departure be the end of it? No, I don't think it will. I think there are underlying political tensions in, in Hong Kong that, that aren't going to simply go away. Um, but I think investors understand that this is not something that's going to be fixed quickly. Uh, it's going to be a slow burn issue. Um, and so I think we'll be talking about this for some time to come yet. And the market implications, I think, as I was pointing out, seem to have been relatively muted. Do you think that there is the potential for any more serious impact on either the Hong Kong market, the Chinese market or the property market? No, I mean, I think probably short term there'll be a, a small positive if, if, the, if the protests die down a bit. But I think this is a much longer term play um, around the, the sustainability of, of the Hong Kong model within China and uh, and how that plays out. So for now, I don't think the market moves are going to be huge. You do raise a good point, though, because, I mean, Carrie Lam has been the target of a lot of the protesters' dismay about what's taking place with democracy on the ground. Take her away. Does the anger then switch directly towards Beijing? Well, I think they've got to have the public inquiry into police actions as well. I think if they had that, maybe there would be more progress towards quelling these protests. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.